Friends, let's pray. Lord God, please speak to us through your word now, we pray. Help us to hear you speak, but even more, would you move us to respond to what you would have us hear. We ask this for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm interested to know, how did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, please hear me. You are very welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, But I want to ask you, how did you come to be here in church? What happened in your life that caused you to either believe or to be investigating the claims of Jesus? Now, there's a very short answer to that question that applies to all of us, and that is God. How did you become a Christian? God did it. Before time began, God chose you to be his. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into the world so that your sins could be forgiven. And at some point in your life, God put his Holy Spirit in you to open your eyes to believe that good news. And he moved you to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus. The reason you're a Christian, the reason anyone's a Christian, is because God, the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, chose to save you. Titus chapter 3 says, he saved us. It's as simple as that. The reason you or anyone is a Christian is because God did it. You didn't save yourself. The person who shared the gospel with you didn't save you. The pastor that preached to you didn't save you. Your parents didn't save you. The only reason that you have faith in Jesus is because God saved you. And it's really important today that we remember that. But there's also more to the story, isn't there? Because while ultimately it was God who is responsible for our salvation, he always, almost always, uses ordinary people in that work. Now, I say almost because God isn't bound to use people. He could save people however he likes. And I I actually met a guy this week who became a Christian when he was walking between classes in high school and he heard God speak to him. He acknowledged it was a very strange story. He said it's never happened before, it's never happened since. That he heard God speak and it moved him to put his trust trust in Jesus. But even in that guy's story, God still used people in very significant ways to help him grow as a disciple of Jesus. Because the ordinary way that God works in our lives is that he uses people. So who was it for you? Who was that one person or maybe a few people who played that particularly important role in bringing you to a saving faith? Or if you're not yet a Christian, who was it that played the role in bringing you into church this morning? Now, for me, it was a man in my church named Ron. Uh, My parents and my church had sort of laid the foundation for my faith, but it was Ron that God worked through to bring me to put my trust in Jesus. And you see, all Ron did was invite me to catch up with him for lunch a few times. He read the Bible with me. 
But as I did that, as I saw the love that he had for Jesus, as I saw the joy that he had at being saved, well, that moved me to put my trust in Jesus. It moved me to want what Ron had. So who was it for you? And what did they do? Now, I ask you, ask you this firstly, just so that you would thank God for that person. And thank God for the people who were bold enough to share the gospel with you. Whether it was your parents, a friend, a Sunday school teacher. Praise God for them. Isn't it good that God put that person in your life? But whether you're a Christian or not yet, the ordinary way that God brings people into relationship with himself is through people who already know him. That's how he usually does it. When God wants to save someone, he sends people. When God wanted to save Abraham's descendants, he sent a person, Moses. When God wanted to save the people of Nineveh, he sent a person, Jonah. When God wanted to save the whole world, he sent a person, his own son. And when God wanted to save you, he sent a person, didn't he? But this morning, we're focusing our attention on the fact that God is still saving people. He still has people that he wants to call into his kingdom. He still has people that he wants to set free from sin and death. And so he's sending you. Two weeks ago, we learned that disciples are people who follow Jesus. Last week, we learned that disciples are people who grow to be like Jesus. But today, today we learn that disciples are people who make disciples of Jesus. Christians are people who have the incredible privilege and the weighty responsibility of helping others to follow Jesus. And that responsibility and that privilege belongs to all of us. When Jesus first called Simon, Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, he said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And those two things go hand in hand. People who follow Jesus are people who fish for people. People who follow Jesus are people who invite other people to follow Jesus. Disciples make disciples. And so this morning we're going to spend our time answering two basic questions about making disciples. Firstly, the question of why. Why would we make disciples? Why would God choose to use people like us in such an important job? And the second question is how? If it is so important that Christians make disciples, how do we even go about doing that? How do we help other people to follow Jesus? So first of all, why? Why should we make disciples? Well, the book of Matthew gives us a pretty strong indication that Jesus thinks this is important. Because the very first thing that Jesus says to any of his disciples in the book of Matthew, and the very last thing that Jesus says to any of his disciples in the book of Matthew, are to make disciples. So right at the beginning of the book, the first thing Jesus says is, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And then at the very end of the book, the very last words that were read out for us before, Jesus says, 
go and make disciples. But in Matthew 28, those very last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually tells us why. Did you see it? It's there in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. The reason disciples should make disciples is because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Or in other words, the reason you and I should care about making disciples is because Jesus is Lord of all. Now, there's two ways you can understand Jesus' words here. This could be Jesus playing the boss card. You know, the card that your boss at work plays when he wants you to do something that you don't want to do. You go, why should I listen to you? And he says, because I'm the boss. You listen to me because I'm the boss. It's the same as the dad card, actually. Just doesn't work as well when you're a dad. But, you know, all authority in this house has been given to me, therefore go to bed. But Jesus' words here, well, they mean at least that. All authority belongs to Jesus, therefore we should listen to him. Now, it wouldn't matter how Jesus finished that sentence, actually. If he had told us to make disciples or to knit tea cozies or to move to Antarctica, if all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him, well, we should do it. But there's actually a better way of understanding Jesus' words here. We should listen to him because he's our Lord. But it's precisely because Jesus is Lord, because he has all authority in heaven on earth, because he is the king of everyone and everything, that everyone needs to come and follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord, and so we need to help other people recognize that he is Lord. We need to help them see that he is king and that he demands their obedience. We need to help our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues and our community see that there is a king who wants them to enjoy relationship with him. We need to help them see that unless they deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus, then they are making a powerful enemy. Because we live in a world that is centred around Jesus. Colossians 1 tells us that the whole world was created by Jesus and for Jesus. It's all for him. Ephesians 1 tells us that God's plan is to bring everything united under Jesus. Everything. Friends, this world belongs to Jesus. And so we need to make it our priority to let people know that. Not just letting them know that bad things will happen to them if they don't do what Jesus says but showing them that unless their lives are centred around the Lord Jesus, then they've missed the point of living. Humans exist to bring glory to Jesus. Everything exists to bring glory to Jesus. And because Jesus is Lord, well, we should care about 
helping others recognize him as Lord. That's the first reason we should care about making disciples. The second reason is that Jesus cares a lot about making disciples. In fact, he cares so much about making disciples that he was willing to step down from his heavenly throne to humble himself and become a man, to be beaten and mocked and shamed and hated and then completely disgraced by being killed on a cross even though he was innocent. That's how much Jesus cares about making disciples. That's the length that he was willing to go to, to see sinners saved. How do your priorities rack up with Jesus' priorities when it comes to making a disciple? Jesus came for the sole purpose of seeking and saving the lost. Compassion and mercy for people like you and me consumed him. He stopped at nothing to do the will of his father who had been planning the salvation of sinners from before the beginning of time. And he cares so much about making disciples that he is currently holding off on his return to judge, patiently waiting and giving us more time and giving other people more time to repent and be saved. That's how much Jesus cares about making disciples. That's how much Jesus cares about people. And that's what making disciples is all about, isn't it? It's about people. God loves people. And so when we think about making disciples, it's not about seeing our church grow. It's not about feeling good about ourselves, about how many people were saved under our attempts at sharing the gospel with them. It's not about counting numbers. Making disciples is about love for people. Friends, God loved this world so much that he sent Jesus to save it. And so as people who have experienced that love ourselves, how could we not want others to experience it? How could we not do whatever it takes to see others saved? Friends, Christ's love compels us to make disciples. We live in a world filled with people who are tragically opposed to God. People who are deceived into thinking that they don't need him. People who are so lost that they celebrate evil and that they oppose truth. And friends, they're people just like you and me. People that Jesus looks upon with tears in his eyes and not weeping for himself, but weeping for them. Jesus longs for them to become his children, to become his disciples. And yet he chooses to work through people like us to extend that gracious invitation. Friends, Jesus wants his disciples to make more disciples. And so the question that we need to ask is, well, how do we actually do that? We've seen why we would make disciples, but how? 
How do we convince people that they need to bow their knee before Jesus the Lord? How do we show people how much Jesus the Saviour loves them? It's an overwhelming task, isn't it? It's huge. It's scary. And you feel completely inadequate, don't you? I do. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that that's okay. In fact, it's exactly how you should feel, because when you consider what's at stake here, we're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about people's eternity. This is a huge deal. And friends, it doesn't really matter if you're talking about a random on the street, or a neighbour, a co-worker, a relative, a member of your own family. It doesn't even matter if you're talking about your own son or daughter. The task of convincing someone that not only have they lived their life entirely wrong, but that they need to do a complete 180, say sorry to God, and then put their trust in a man who hasn't been seen for 2,000 years, all because you read it in a book. That task is overwhelming at best, right? At worst, it seems crazy. Making disciples is a huge task. But when Jesus asked his followers to be involved in this important work, he knew what he was doing. If he wanted people who were confident and competent and had all the skills to make disciples, he would have done it himself. He wouldn't have asked you to help. But he has asked you to help. He's asked people like you and me to make disciples. Broken people, weak people, scared people, people who don't know what to say. And he does that to show that the power for salvation doesn't come from us. Your friend won't believe because of how eloquent you are or how clever your gospel sharing is. Your child won't be saved because you made all the right parenting decisions. Remember, people are saved because God saved them. And so, while making disciples is our task, at the same time, it is the task of the God who works through weak people like us. We hold the treasure of the gospel message in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Take comfort in that. This is God's work. But it's our job as well. It's not just the job of pastors, not just the job of people with skills. Discipleship is the job of disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus wants you to make disciples. Well, there's three things that we can do that will help. I mean, there's obviously way more that could be said about this, but there's three things that I think will be particularly helpful for you this morning. Firstly, be distinctive. Jesus calls his followers to be salt and light so that other people might see our good deeds and give glory to him. And the thing about salt and light is that they're distinctive. They stand out. You can't help but notice them. And so in the same way, you and I need to look different from the non-Christians that live around us. 
One of the great tragedies of Western Christianity is that the church has become almost indistinguishable from the wider culture. And so if your unbelieving friend sees that you love all the same things that they love and fear all the same things that they fear and are ambitious for all the same ambitions and selfishly crave all the same selfish cravings, well, you can't blame them for thinking that Christianity doesn't really have anything to offer them. Friends, if we're truly following Jesus, our lives will look radically different. Remember Jesus' first words to disciples is repent, turn around, go the other direction, be different. That's what captivated me about Ron when I sat down to read the Bible with him. I don't remember anything that he actually read from the Bible. But what I do remember is that he looked different and it was good different. Well, it's the same way that in 1 Peter, Peter urges his readers to not be vengeful or hateful or deceitful, all the things that the world is, but instead to be loving, compassionate and humble, all the things that the world is not. And when we live counter-cultural lives of joy and peace and contentment and selflessness, and love, people will notice that and people will be drawn to that. The second thing that we need to be if we are to make disciples of Jesus is to be loving like Jesus. Now, of course, people aren't going to respond to your evangelistic efforts if you treat them badly or if you look down on them in judgment. But if we take a genuine interest in other people, if we show that same kind of care and compassion and patience and love that Jesus showed to us, they'll want to hear what we have to share with them about Jesus. Remember, Jesus loves your neighbours so much that he was willing to die for their salvation. He wants us to love them too. We must be distinctive if we're to make disciples. We must be loving. But thirdly, we must be prepared. Did you notice discipleship is an active thing? Jesus didn't command us to sit back and wait for disciples to drop into our laps. He told us to make disciples. That means there's actually something that you need to do. And so we need to be prepared to act. We need to be ready to take the opportunities that present themselves to share the gospel each day. One of the things that I like to do is actually start my day by praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And you would be surprised how many times Jesus answers that prayer. The opportunities are already there in your life. You have countless opportunities every week to share something of the gospel with people that you're talking to. You just need to actually see them and then take them. So we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to actually ask lots of questions and to listen to people and genuinely listen to them. 
But 1 Peter 3 also tells us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Which, put simply, means we need to have an answer to the question, why are you a Christian? So let me ask you, why are you a Christian? Can you answer that? It's actually a bit of a tricky question to answer. But friends, if you, if you can't answer that, you would be well served to go away and think about how you might answer it. Because if you're not even sure why you follow Jesus yourself, well, it's going to be very difficult to convince someone else that they too should follow Jesus. And so I'm going to encourage you today, over morning tea, after church, why not practice on each other? Ask someone, why are they a Christian? Have a go at sharing with someone else why you are a Christian. It's a very simple thing. But if we can share what it is about Jesus that has captivated us, that has drawn us in, that has moved us to live radically different lives, we can trust that God will use that to persuade others. Friends, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. He is Lord and he is Saviour. He loves this world and he wants all people to be saved. So friends, go and make disciples. Go into your homes this week and make disciples of your family. Go into your workplace and make disciples. Go into your street and make disciples. And as you go, remember these comforting words of Jesus. Because after telling his disciples to go and make disciples... He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's his job to save people. And it's him that chooses to work through weak people like us. So let's go make disciples of Jesus for Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you do give us this privilege of being involved in your work of saving sinners. We thank you so much that you used ordinary people in our own lives to bring us to salvation. And even though we're scared and uncomfortable and inadequate, we ask that you would please use us to continue that work here in Noosa. Father, would you help us to care more about what you think than what others think? Would you grow in us the kind of love for our neighbours that you have for us? And Lord, would you empower us with your spirit to be worthy ambassadors of Jesus, whose lives display the joy and hope and peace of knowing you. Father, we pray that you would save many through our humble efforts. And not that we might boast, but that the name of our Lord and Saviour might be glorified. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.